Hello, everyone, and welcome to Culturally Relevant, a podcast about film, television, art, and culture. I'm David Chen, and today is going to be a diary episode, just sharing some thoughts on what's happened in the last few weeks. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying the conversations I've been putting out on this podcast this month. I've had some great conversations and interviews with uh, a lot of different folks, and there's more to come uh, in the next few weeks as well. Uh, So this episode might be a little bit of a shorter diary episode. If you are a fan of this podcast and want to support what I do, it's very easy to do that. Go to patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Again, that's patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Really appreciate all the patrons over there that are making Culturally Relevant possible. And of course, you can also support this podcast by uh, leaving a review for us on Apple Podcasts or following the podcast on Twitter at C-Rev Show. That's C-R-E-V-S-H-O-W. Uh, you can do that completely free of charge. So thanks to everyone for your support. Thanks for listening. Uh, let's dive into some of the stuff that's been happening recently. Today's Friday, December 18th. And according to the New York Times, uh, yesterday there were over 238,000 cases of the coronavirus and at least 3,293 deaths. Uh, Earlier this year, in May of 2020, Charlie Warzel published a piece over at the New York Times uh, entitled, Open States, Lots of Guns, America is Paying a Heavy Price for Freedom. This country seems resigned to preventable firearm deaths. It appears that the same is starting to happen with fatalities from the pandemic. And that is an article I believe I quoted on this podcast uh, and and, and largely agreed with. In the article, uh, Charlie Warzel writes, quote, As a country, we seem resigned to preventable firearm deaths. Each year, 36,000 Americans are killed by guns, roughly 100 per day, most from suicide. Some of these tragedies make national headlines. Many don't. Uh, The bigger school shootings and hate crime massacres can ignite genuine moral outrage and revive familiar debates. Um, But in every case, the death tolls climb, but we fail to act. There are occasional marches and protests, but mostly we continue on with our lives, end quote. And Warzel predicts, like, maybe this is the way we're going to deal with coronavirus deaths. Now, I would argue the coronavirus situation is much worse. Like, we're dealing with many more deaths this year, many more excess deaths this year. Uh, than we are from gun violence. And yet, and yet, uh, we still have millions of Americans who uh, see this as a political issue, uh, who are using this as an opportunity to fan the flames of the culture war. Uh, There are many states right now, as I'm recording this, right now, as I'm recording this, when we are experiencing roughly a 9-11's worth of deaths per day, uh, where people aren't closing down gyms and restaurants Uh, where everything seems to be going on as usual. And America, I think, is inured to suffering and death. And I I think we always knew this. We always knew that there's a certain amount of callousness one has to possess to live in America, even pre-COVID, right? There's tons of people who are starving, who are poor, uh, who are suffering on a daily basis, uh, that we have the resources to help as a society and we choose not to. And Amer- like we, we always knew it as Americans, this is kind of part of the uh, Faustian-esque bargain that we struck to live in this country. But now that people are literally dying by the thousands a day, that reality is confronting us uh, in a very, very more stark manner. Uh, I'm reminded of a lot of things as I think of this reality. Number one is, well, first of all, there's this 
great article over at Texas Monthly that got passed around a lot this week on my Twitter uh, followers, or following, I should say. And uh, people were saying, this is the lead of the year. So this is an article from Texas Monthly, and as always, I'm going to link to everything I'm talking about in the show notes. Uh, But Texas Monthly has an article entitled, Texas Wedding Photographers Have Seen Some Shit. They Know What You Did This Summer. This article is by Emily McCuller. And I'm going to read you the opening of the article, okay? So Emily McCuller writes, quote, The wedding photographer had already spent an hour or two inside with the unmasked wedding party when one of the bridesmaids approached her. The woman thanked her for still showing up considering everything that's going on with the groom, quote unquote. When the photographer asked what she meant by that, the bridesmaid said the groom had tested positive for coronavirus the day before. She was looking for me to be like, oh, that's crazy. Like I was going to agree with her that it was fine, the photographer recalls. So I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't freak out. He doesn't have symptoms. He's fine. The photographer, who has asthma and three kids, left with her assistant before the night was over. Her exit was tense. The wedding planner said it was the most unprofessional thing she'd ever seen. Bridesmaids accused her of heartlessly ruining an innocent woman's wedding day. She recalls one bridesmaid's telling her, I'm a teacher. I have 14 students. If I'm willing to risk it, why aren't you? Another said everyone was going to get COVID eventually, so what was the big deal? The friend of the bride who'd spilled the beans cried about being the worst bridesmaid ever, and quote-unquote. After the photographer left, she canceled her Thanksgiving plans with family, sent her kids to relatives' houses so they wouldn't get sick, and informed the brides of her upcoming weddings that she'd be subcontracting to other shooters. A few days later, she started to feel sick, and sure enough, tested positive for the coronavirus. She informed the couple, but they didn't care, she says. They didn't offer to compensate her for the test, nor did they apologize for her getting sick, end quote. A lot of, uh, there's a lot to digest in those few paragraphs. Uh, really vivid illustration of our times. Bravo to Emily McCullough for writing this article. Uh, and I'm struck by a few things as I'm thinking about this article, right? One is that I just think that educate, like there's some, some of this stuff that is of no fault of the people who are doing and saying the terrible things. Uh, like this bridesmaid who says like, oh, no, 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 don't freak out. He doesn't have symptoms. He's fine. Like to me, what I read there when I'm when I'm seeing that is just a staggering lack of medical literacy about the coronavirus. And that's not necessarily that random bridesmaid's fault. You know, like the government has not done a great job. Like our information ecosystem has not done a great job. Uh, in some ways as a society, we failed this person, right? Like we, we have failed that person to educate that person about the coronavirus and uh, what it means uh, when you, like the asymptomatic spread is possible and that like you can you can spread something while you're asymptomatic, but the person who gets it might get, get symptoms and be uh, in a terrible state. Like that person, the bridesmaid probably didn't fully grok that, right? So that's one one thing I that strikes me. Another thing that strikes me is this quote, this chilling quote. Quote, I'm a teacher. I have 14 students. If I'm willing to risk it, why aren't you? End quote. This kind of goes to my statement earlier about the callousness of, of America, right? The idea that like, hey, if, if I'm willing to endanger myself and my 14 children who have nothing to say about this, why aren't you? Why aren't you? And... The final thing that strikes me is just the uh, wedding planner and and all the other people, like the bride, uh, being really upset about ruining this person's wedding. Just the complete and utter selfishness. Now, that that already kind of is related to 
the wedding industrial complex. Like there's a whole situation with the wedding industrial complex and how weddings transform people into uh, different people. Like they, they make it so that your priorities are all different than usual. It's interesting that uh, as I was planning my own wedding or, or taking part in the planning, I should say, because uh, I, I didn't do a lot of the planning, uh, I, I would hear stories uh, from my wife about other weddings. And a lot of the stories about like relatives and friends' involvements with other weddings, uh, they're often not happy stories. You know what I mean? Like they're often stories about how, oh, so-and-so didn't come to the wedding and didn't RSVP and now they don't talk anymore. Or so-and-so was in the wedding, but they said this thing at the, at the, you know, during the speech and now, now they're not friends. Their, their 15 year old friendship is over. And it's just like, it, it struck me like how much while weddings are ostensibly supposed to be about affirmations of love and friendship, that they often end up being um, the opposite. They often end up like testing friendships and being ways to reveal weaknesses in friendships um, that then create like rifts. And it just struck me as really sad. Like I it just, anyway, so that's a whole other podcast episode, but suffice to say, um, we, we have configured our society f- to make it so that people who are in weddings, like the bride and the groom, think primarily about themselves. And, uh, you, you know, I think there's already a lot of uh, self-involvement and individualism in America to begin with, and weddings just amplify that. So uh, all that's to say that I think this article at Texas Monthly really captures a lot about what it's like to live in America at this moment, right? Because it's a wedding, because it has to do with these things of like, there's a, there's a uh, service worker, a photographer who's like working for the wedding, and there's people who like uh, think that she's doing this grave injustice by by not shooting the wedding, even though one of the people is infected with a potentially deadly disease. Uh, read the whole article. It's very illuminating. Uh, but yeah, if, if somebody asked me, uh, hey, David, what was it like living in the U.S. in December of 2020? This is, this is a great piece to kind of sum it up, is this Texas Monthly piece about wedding photographers and, and what's going on in Texas right now. So... That's one of the things that I think about right now as I'm thinking about uh, the sheer volume and magnitude of the death that's happening in this country. Uh, another thing I'm thinking about is this uh, tweet from Anna Sale this morning. Anna Sale is the host of a podcast called Death, Sex, and Money. It's a great interview podcast uh, from WNYC Studios. I, I may have rec- recommended it as a weekly recommendation uh, on this podcast. Yeah, I think I did earlier this year or in the last couple of years. And uh, she recently did an article uh, or I'm sorry, an episode about uh, what we've lost in the pandemic. And this, this is such a great episode of the podcast i'm like oh man i should have done something similar for culturally relevant i would have loved to hear from people put together kind of a a clip episode like with people sharing their experiences maybe i'll work up to that one day when this podcast becomes popular enough but she tweeted this this morning um and she said this is in the death sex and money inbox this morning uh and she tweets this uh, email that she received or a message she received uh, and the, the message reads, quote, thank you for this episode. It made me feel less alone. 
because uh, again, by the way, you know, the episode is about uh, what people lost this year, like loved ones, pets, uh, family members to QAnon, like whatever it is. And again, so here, here's the message that NSL tweeted this morning. Thank you for this episode. It made me feel less alone. I was surprised I didn't hear anyone talk about what has been taken from me. In addition to the death of my mother-in-law from COVID and my 23-year-old cat, 2020 took away my faith in mankind. I'm a nurse dealing with COVID issues almost every day, and I am appalled that many people refuse to follow even the most basic health guidelines, such as social distancing or masks, end quote. I've been thinking a lot about this idea uh, that the pandemic has laid bare what America really is, and it has reminded me of Ruben Ostlin's film Force Majeure. For those who don't know, Force Majeure is a 2014 foreign film and uh, it's uh, written and produced and directed by Ruben Oslin, uh, which I, I believe it's a Swedish film. Uh, and I would recommend the film, first of all. Like, it's a, it's a great film. It was recently remade into a, an American film. Um, what was the movie called? The uh, Downhill was the movie that was released in 2020. That was the remake of uh, Force Majeure. But I think uh, Downhill is not terrible, but like Force Majeure is uh, uh, like, I don't know if it's better, but it definitely is uh, more stylistically interesting. And also uh, there, there really is nothing that Downhill adds to the conversation in terms of the themes of this film, other than that it's all in English and you don't need to read subtitles. The movie Force Majeure is about a Swedish family uh, in which the, the father's name is Tomas, his wife's name is Ebba, and they go to a luxury resort in the French Alps. And they're, they're going skiing, and uh, they see, like, the second day they're skiing, they're chilling in the ski lodge, eating lunch, and a controlled avalanche begins. And this controlled avalanche looks completely frightening. It looks just terrifying this thing is barreling towards the resort and it really looks like it's going to completely consume everyone at at the resort like dozens of people sitting on this balcony outside it just looks like it's gonna just swamp them and possibly hurt them so this controlled avalanche is coming it's coming it's coming and uh tomas and uh his wife and his kids are just sitting there and tomas just gets the fuck out. He just gets up and flees the table, right? He just runs away. And his wife stays there with the kids and kind of like covers them with her own body and protects them. And the avalanche engulfs them, but like it doesn't it's it's it doesn't really hurt them at all. It's just a a cloud of powder that engulfs them. So it's not actually dangerous for them in any way. Uh, but it looks bad. It looks bad. And so this, they get they all get covered with a little tiny, like a thin sheet of snow, but everyone is fine. It's like a false scare. Tomas wanders back to the table, and the rest of the film is about what happens between Tomas and Ebba. Now, it turns out that like Tomas and Ebba, there might have already been some problems there with the relationship. And the fact that Tomas just took off... Uh, kind of showed uh, Ebba like what kind of man she was dealing with, right? And I, you know, it, it reveals what is hidden underneath. It reveals what's hidden in this relationship. It re reveals 
what this person would do when times get tough and the rubber meets the road and you really need to test this person's uh, selflessness, uh, their commitment to you. And I feel like that's what this this uh, uh, pandemic has done to us. You know, that's what this, I'm reminded of this movie Force Majeure as I think about all the stuff that's happened in the last few months is that we have seen how willing our fellow Americans are to band together, to be unified. Uh, we've seen how willing people are to embrace science and rationality. We've seen how willing people are to sacrifice for others in the service of common good. Uh, and it has not been a pretty picture. Uh, it What has instead emerged is that there are people who opportunistically, and because it is lucrative, uh, like to divide us. Uh, they like to... Uh, put divisive information out there, misinformation out there, um, rile people up, get people angry at each other, uh, get people to make it so that their extremely rational, well-thought-out decisions are seen as a political act that is against their way of life. And it's deeply upsetting and unfortunate that uh, this is the country that we live in. And, and this is a thing that I've been thinking about too is – one, not like we now have hope on the horizon. In fact, there, there's just an article, front page of the New York Times today, right now, at, right before I started recording by Zenep Dufeki about how we might be able to do twice as many vaccinations as we originally thought because uh, we, we originally thought there would be a, a second shot required, but data suggests, according to this article, it's, all, it's very early days right now, that there might be significant protection even without a second shot. And if studies prove that's true, it could be a game changer. Hope is on the way, folks. Hope is on the way. Therapeutics, treatments, vaccines. The next year is going to be a little bit weird. As some people get vaccinated, other people don't. It's going to be a big transition time. And I think in 2022, we're really going to be able to start celebrating that the good times are back again. But in the midst of all that, it's like, yes, you can keep going on with your ski vacation. But you've already seen what your husband's going to do if something bad happens. And this is what's on my mind a lot is like now that the end is in sight, uh, I've started to think through what does it mean to be an American? What does it mean to live in this country? You know, is this a, a country that I want to raise my kids in? Is this a country where I want to spend the rest of my life? Uh, a country where we will allow these divisions to completely destroy us, where like people will openly challenge the rule of law, the peaceful transfer of power, because it might benefit them politically. Uh, is, is it a country I want to live in where we just shrug off deaths and keep open our nail salons and our restaurants and our gyms uh, because it's better for the economy? Uh, these are the questions I'm asking myself. Uh, not only what kind of country do I want to live in, but like what kind of life do I want to have after this is all over. I have basically not left a one mile radius of my house for nine months. And, uh, you know, there's been occasional trips out there. Like uh, it's not never, but I, I have, I have basically not seen outside of a one mile radius of my house for a really long time. And, uh, I, I honestly, I feel like, uh, you know, Shawshank redemption esque where, uh, red is, trying to like think about life in, in the real world out there, right? And like, what what is his life going to be after he gets out of Shawshank? And uh, I'm not comparing my home to a prison in any way, but 
I will say that uh, many of us who are uh, are have the privilege of working from home and don't have to leave are doing our best to socially distance and self isolate and prevent the spread of the disease. And uh, we are now kind of like it, it's been a, a a kind of confinement. It has not been as bad as prisoner or jail or anything like that, but. Uh, now that we are looking forward to the future where that confinement might be over, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to think about about what we want society to look like and what kind of values we want to have as a society uh, and what kind of country we want to live in. And what I've seen of the country this year has been really sad, ugly, and unfortunate. And... Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with that information. I'm still thinking about it. Still thinking about it. As I, as I reflect on this year, and, and I think this is probably the, be the final diary episode of the year, you know, um, these are the thoughts I'm left with. And maybe when I'm recording this a year from today, it'll feel a lot different and I'll have a much different outlook. But at the moment, uh, it's feeling pretty bad. Uh, I'm feeling pretty bad about America, um, how we let this thing tear through us, uh, how we sacrificed so many people on the altar of a functioning economy and how many people enabled the president to essentially do nothing. You know, Chris Hayes, the MSNBC host, called the president in July pro-virus, pro-COVID. And uh, sure, there are things that he could have done to make it even worse, but not much, not much, guys. Uh, I mean... Here's a guy who did as much as he could to flummox the CDC, uh, went from city to city spreading the virus while he had it, while he and his staff had it, encouraging people to not wear masks. I mean, it, it's just, uh, be, be, by like not modeling the good behavior of wearing masks himself. So it's just uh, we we had this guy who was basically like as pro virus as they come, and a bunch of people who enabled him, and it's gonna haunt me. It's gonna haunt me that we as a society enabled it. Like allowed it to happen, and now we're gonna have to live with each other, you know. So, anyway, these are the things I'm thinking about. But uh, I also want to mention a couple other things before I wrap up here. One of them is I finally had a chance to see Tenet this week, and a lot of you know who have been listening to this podcast uh, and who have been watching my YouTube that like I really struggled with whether or not to risk my life to go see Tenet earlier this year. Um, and it wouldn't have been a big risk. I would have like rented out the theater and, and it would have been, you know, the only movie I watched this year, but, uh, uh, people are probably curious to hear what I think about it. And I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I'm planning to put a couple videos out about it on YouTube, at least one video out on YouTube sometime in the next week. So look forward to that at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. And uh, we're going to review on the Slash Filmcast as well. I'm really excited about that. Uh, but overall, I can tell you that I was really dazzled by the film on a technical level. And I loved the visuals. I loved the concepts. Some people have asked me if I regretted not going to see it in theaters. And man, it would have been great to see it on IMAX. Um, but I think that uh, what I can say is I understand why Christopher Nolan was so intent on people seeing it this way like he, he worked really hard i'm not excusing any of his behavior i still think it's like somewhat inexcusable but he worked really hard to make it so that 
uh, it would be a tremendous big screen experience. And uh, the fact that the vast majority of people won't have that is, I can I can understand working for years and doing some of the things, the am- incredibly ambitious things he did in that film, uh, so that people could have a great theatrical experience, and then not having that, like that being very disappointing. I, I get why uh, he would feel that way. Uh, that said. I really wish I had a chance to see this in IMAX, but I don't regret not risking my life because ultimately I think the movie is pretty silly and not very good, even though I really enjoyed it and and kind of love it. And I think that the movie I can compare it to the, the most is Interstellar, which I think if you think about the plot of Interstellar, it's very, very silly. Like what Matthew McConaughey does, you know, there's an honest trailer that does a great job of summing up the plot of Interstellar. I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but it's basically like what Matthew McConaughey does makes absolutely, it's not that it makes no sense. It's just so outlandishly convoluted as to both beggar belief and also it just is, is silly. It's, it's ludicrous. And the plot of Tenet is similar. Right, it's just if you think about it on more than just the surface level, uh, it, it 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 kind of falls apart a little bit, in my opinion. In my opinion, each scene makes sense, but like if you think about it more the surface level, it's it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous. So, anyway, um, so that is uh, Tenet, and I I, I think that. The difference between Tenet and Interstellar is Interstellar was Christopher Nolan's riff on space movies, and Tenet is Christopher Nolan's riff on spy movies. And these movies have different conventions, right? Um, and the the thing about Interstellar is okay, uh, pretty silly movie, but it's kind of a space movie. I kind of understand at a core level what it is. We've seen space movies, we've seen sci-fi movies before. Um, no one has quite done it like Interstellar. There were th- some things about Interstellar that were really ambitious, particularly about playing with time. But like fundamentally, I'd seen movies that were close enough, like Star Trek and stuff like that, that like I, uh, I it didn't really blow me away. Plus, the plot was ridiculous. Um, Tenet, I've seen lots of spy movies, and you know James Bond movies, they're all ludicrous. Uh, they treat women like objects uh, and have no agency. Like, you know, uh, the di- dialogue is silly and the the swagger of the protagonist is weird. And, you know, it, it's just all, it's all of a piece with each other. But um, Tenet shows you things that you, I've never seen before in movies. Like there's stuff that is attempted in Tenet that I, I just feel like is of a whole different category, um, which some people might feel that way about Interstellar. And, uh, but I feel that way about Tenet in a way that I didn't feel about Interstellar. The thing that Tenet is missing that movies like Inception and Interstellar have is a heart, in my opinion. Um, Matthew McConaughey's performance, like him just wanting to get back to his kids. Leonardo DiCaprio's performance, him just wanting to get back to his kids. You know, uh, <laughs> Leonard Shelby from Memento, him just wanting to get, to, to get back to his dead wife. Um, and the kids they never they never had, you know, like these things gave these these performances were amazing, and they gave these movies a heart uh, and an emotional center that I just don't feel like Tenet has, unfortunately. Uh, and so some people think that's a problem. Uh, I think it's a problem, but despite that, there's still so much about Tenet, from the technical wizardry to the great soundtrack by Ludwig Göransson um, to the set pieces. 
that I just still really enjoyed the hell out of it. And I've watched it twice already. I did a watch along with the folks at Patreon at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Had a great time there. And uh, I'm planning on watching it several more times. Uh, it's just a movie that I really enjoy. Um, and sometimes, despite all the flaws, there's just movies you enjoy. Um, and this is one of them for me. So that's Tenet. It's as silly as Interstellar. Uh, and it has less of an emotional core, but also uh, I appreciate it more. So anyway, it's weird. Weird that I had that reaction. A lot of people I know just outright hate this film and think it's complete nonsense, and I think that's also a completely defensible point of view. So anyway, some thoughts on Tenet, uh, uh, which is a movie that's kind of dominating my thoughts this this week. All right, folks. Um I think that's all I have the time and energy for today. Um, I got to put out a lot more content in the next few weeks, a lot more great conversations on culturally relevant, a lot more stuff on the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Dave Chen, uh, Dave Chensky, I should say. And, uh, a lot more stuff on my Patreon at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. So, um, I, I think that's going to wrap it up for today, but I always appreciate folks listening to these little diary episodes. Um, I got a lovely email from listener Mark this week uh, explaining how valuable he found these. And I think that uh, there are a, a lot of people out there who think like I think about uh, the, this pandemic, but like, you know, they're, they're not necessarily talking about it as much. Let me close with this one thing which is uh, the coronavirus pandemic has been really sad for me because I feel like it's very isolating to people, you know? Uh, we can't see our friends in the normal way. And not only that, but here's a sense I get is that people are just emotionally exhausted. Like you're, you're exhausted just trying to get through the day, trying to uh, think about the things you need to get done. And, the, the, and like, it's not like you can... Uh, there's something to, to look forward to for a lot of people. Like you can't like, oh, we're going to go see a show tonight. We're going to go to a restaurant tonight. Um, so you get through your day and then by the end of the day, you maybe veg out and watch Netflix and you're done. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that's their life. And it takes so much energy to reach out to people to be like, how are you doing? Um, what's happening in your life? Because you know that their life is probably not going super hot as well. Like they're probably dealing with a lot of profound challenges and no one wants to talk about these things. If you're that person, you don't want to burden your friend. So I just feel like, you know, in my own experience, people aren't reaching out as much. And when I do reach out to people, they're extremely grateful. They seem grateful like, oh my gosh, like no one's reached out to me, you know? So I, empirically, it feels like people aren't reaching out as much. And... Uh, I guess what I have to say is if you have the energy, reach out. I think people will appreciate it. But I hope you'll also consider this podcast my form of reaching out to you all out there, um, saying that I hope you all are doing okay, that there's people out, out here, myself, who are exhausted by everything that's going on, who do think it's a miracle that we can each get through the workday every day and not just collapse um, there, there are people out here who do take this virus seriously, extremely seriously, and are self-isolating um, and just basically not seeing anyone else uh, and just battening down the hatches until this is over. We do exist out here. You might not see us in the media. You might not see it on your Instagram feed when people are out there at bars celebrating or whatever the hell, but we do exist out here. Know that we're out here. Know that you're doing the right thing uh, by continuing to be as safe as possible and know that people like me 
care about you insofar as I can care about strangers on the internet who are kind of abstract concepts. Of course, you're always welcome to write to me and become more than a stranger. But people like me care about you and are wishing the best for you, wishing a safe, healthy uh, holiday season for you. I know it's a really tough time right now for a lot of people who have to spend the holidays alone. But uh, yeah, I, I, I know it's, it's, it's really challenging. And uh, just know that uh, I'm thinking about all of you out there. And if you ever want to talk uh, or want to reach back, uh, my line is always open at culturallyrelevantshow at gmail.com. And of course, you can always tweet at me. I'm not a difficult person to find. But I thank you for listening to this year of Culturally Relevant. Thank you for uh, continuing to support my passion project. Um, And again, if you enjoyed this episode or you want to support me, patreon.com slash Dave Chan, leave a review on Apple Podcast or follow this podcast on Twitter at CREVSHOW, C-R-E-V-S-H-O-W. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Uh, But until then, be safe, be healthy, be well. Talk soon.